second lecture is about uh, modeling, yeah, because if you want to uh, to control something, you must first have, have an idea uh, what the behavior of the system is. That's what we call modeling. Mm -hmm. And then we have various ways of describing a system. We can do that by uh, differential equations, or if it's a discrete system, by difference equations. Mm -hmm. We can do it by several transformations, uh, which leads to poles and zeros, which is typically a control engineering way of expressing systems. And also by time domain behavior, often uh, step responses. Uh, so you make a disturbance at the input. Mm -hmm. You say, well, I have uh, an, an extra, for instance, a temperature control system. You want to increase the temperature two degrees. Mm -hmm. eh? And you look at the response. That's what we call a step response. Eh? Yeah. Well, that will become clear. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about modeling, if you have information about a system, eh, you can say, well, I, I know the physic, uh, physical behavior of, I have enough insight in the system. You could call that physical modeling, then you know a lot, hmm? mm -hmm. and you can describe just what you know in equations. Another situation is that you know nothing about the system. You just can observe the system, uh, disturb something, and see how it reacts. Hmm? Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of black box. You have no idea what's inside, and you just look at the behavior between input and output. Okay. And still you want to know what uh, what's inside. Eh? Yeah. So that's an identification problem. Mm -hmm. Then the reality is mostly a mix of the two. It's not completely black. You know something, but you do not know enough to uh, to make a complete, reliable, competent model. And then we talk about a gray box model. Yeah. Well, there are lots of descriptions uh, for physical systems. You can have ideal physical models, so you try to uh, to capture the, the dominant physical behavior in, in a simple model. Uh, bond graph is another way of expressing systems, which is typically for physical systems. Block diagrams are most popular, I would say. Mm -hmm. And you can have frequency characteristics and uh, descriptions in terms of differential equations. But if you do that in matrix notation, we call about we talked about the state space description mm -hmm. and responses in the time domain. Because finally, what we want to know is uh, the behavior of the system in the time domain. Yeah. Okay. What I will do now is uh, talk about relations between poles and zeros and step responses. Poles and zeros will be discussed also short. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have, in fact, a, a limited number of basic systems. We can have first order systems, we can have second order systems, mm -hmm. and then there are influences of, of zeros. And if you have a certain response or if you have a certain transfer function, Without doing a lot of computations, uh, you can always have an analy analytical solution. Mm -hmm. But it's often faster to use a few rules of thumb, which have an analytical basis as well, and then sketch the response just from a simple transfer. Okay. The other way around, if you have a response and you want to know the transfer function, that's what we call identification, and that can be done without computers just as well. No, not just as well, but but quite well. Hmm? Okay. And it's uh, nonsense to, to use the computer for everything. Yeah? Some mm -hmm. common sense and uh, pen and paper uh, work is also very good. Hmm? Yeah. So the physical model that you do, if you have a clear idea of the process and the various physical parts in the system available, yeah? and also during design, if you... Uh, you are designing something, you, you know what you are going to build, and then you, you have quite some, some insight in the, in the equations which support uh, this description. So in, in continuous time, um, 
especially mechanical systems, you have to base that on the physical laws and the, the geometrical properties of the system. Hmm? We have a separate course, dynamical systems on, on, on modeling. Uh, okay. So this is just a very short survey. Hmm? Black, smog, black box modeling when only measurements are available. Yeah, the idea is that you have a completely unknown process. You have an input and an output. Mm-hmm. And you see something which uh, makes you think that a certain model description yeah, could be uh, could be correct. So you could run the model in parallel with the process. Mm-hmm. And then look at the error. And by minimizing the error, you get a good fit between the process response and the, the model response. And well, if the if the error goes to zero, you could say that the model, at least for this input yeah. signal, describes the process well enough. Hmm? Yeah. Well, in the gray box model, you know something about the process, so you could say, well, this process is unknown, but I know something. I I, I have an idea about the structure. I have an idea about the, uh, the, the some of the parameters, the, the model order. So the only thing you have to do is tune parameters. Hmm? And you could do that uh, in an automatic way by using a kind of optimization algorithm. If you have an automatic algorithm able to reduce the error by tuning the parameters of this uh, this model, you can let the computer do this identification and say, well, okay. minimize the error, and you will have the result. We will see that later on. Yeah. Well, then there are many views on a dynamical system, and we always talk about dynamical systems here. Huh? So this is a, a robot, and well, I want to, when I want to consider the control system for the position of one of the arms of the robot, yeah, I could say, well, I make a description with an electrical motor, and yeah, there's some electrical parts in it, there are some mechanical parts in it, friction, inertia, there's a voltage source to, to, to steer the motor. Uh, you can do that in a so-called bond graph, yeah, which is another way of representing the same. Uh, you could make a transfer function of the system. Uh, this is an uh, after Laplace transformation. Uh, you can make a transfer function of a simple motor. Uh, you can, this is for the control system, you can translate these poles in zero locations into, uh, to, in this case, only poles, but often you also have zeros. Uh, you can do it in a frequency domain, a body plot, and finally you can do it in the time domain and sketching the response of the control system. And then decide that this overshoot is not desirable, so you want a better response. And that means that you have to change your controller, yeah. Yeah, because that's what control engineering is about. You have a physical process. In many cases, you cannot change the physical process. Mm-hmm. If you uh, say, well, I want to design the, the whole system, you also want to, to change the, the physical properties, but often that's not possible. You can only change the controller. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you want to control, change the controller in such a way that this response is fast, uh, has uh, small errors on disturbances and has, for instance, no overshoot. Yeah. That's the challenge of control engineering. Yeah. Well, here I have uh, a picture of the, the, the such a such a motor where the motor is on the uh, on on this uh, on this axis. You have a transmission and there is a load you want to drive, which could be the robot arm. But this is a very, in fact, this is a, a real model of, of a more complex system. Hmm? And, well, when you anal- analyze such a system, you say, well, I have a motor, hmm? mm-hmm. I have a load, and in between I have a transmission. Mm-hmm. So, and how can I translate this now, for instance, in a 20-sim model? Hmm? <laughs> well, then you start with physical, mo- physical modeling. Yeah? It's considering the components in the process. And you want to model with a sufficiently level of detail. Yeah? It's <coughs> you can f- take all the, the pos- possible physical phenomena... 
but that gives you a very complex model and it's not always relevant. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the main dynamics are relevant for controller design and for the behavior of the system. And for instance, if you if such a motor has, has windings, yeah, you have electromagnetical effects, but you don't have to study the magnetic fields into detail hmm, mm-hmm. because the only thing you are interested in the... Uh, well, if, if I have some, some current in these windings, what is the, the motion of the motor? Hmm? Okay. So it's a question whether the, the windings are important or not. Hmm? Yeah. So a, a model which is complex enough but not too complex is called a competent model. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And simple is beautiful. Yeah. Simple is mostly better, but it must not be too simple. Hmm? Okay, yeah. Okay, what we see here is the start of the modeling. I say, well, I, I need at least a kind of voltage source, so this is a simple uh, simple battery. Mm-hmm. I connect that with the motor, so there's an electrical part, mm-hmm. and the axis of the motor is the mechanical domain. Yeah? So we also have different domains here. So when we consider the motor as a component, uh, we, we can have ideal, simple, basic phenomena, uh, like... Uh, resistance and uh, capacitance in electrical circuits or uh, inertia or uh, friction in mechanical systems but this motor has, has something of, of electrical elements mm-hmm. and mechanical elements and together it's a component. Hmm? Okay. A component is a more complex combination of, of elements. We suppose that we can split this component into elements and this is one way of describing the motor. We say we have the battery mm-hmm. We have the uh, inductance of the windings of the motor. There is some electrical resistance in the motor. Well, if there is a current in the motor, the result is that the axis of the motor will start to turn. And there is some mechanical mass, mechanical inertia, and we have friction. So this is a simple model. Well, if we have the equation, when we can write the equations of all the elements, the modeling is complete. In fact... The modeling is now complete. The rest is generating of equations. Hmm? Okay. So, and here all the elements are ideal elements, so they have a unique description. Uh, this is uh, Ohm's law. Hmm? Mm-hmm. U is I times R. Yeah. Hmm? And we have similar laws for, for the other elements. Yeah. So, when we convert this uh, into equations, uh, we could say, well, this it's not very important to go into detail here, but this is... Uh, exactly the uh, electrical circuit hmm? yeah. and th- then here the second equation describes the mechanical part yeah. well and then you can rearrange it in the form of uh, ordinary differential equations with uh, a kind of input and the dynamical part of it where we consider the uh, the, the, the current as variable here and on the other side the uh, angular velocity and the input is here the, the voltage and there's also some back EMF and that's this, this term and depending upon the uh, the current, uh, the motor will start to turn. Hmm? Yeah. Well, and if you want to do simulations and use a analog or a digital computer, in the past we also used analog computers, but differentiation is much more difficult in a computer than integration. Hmm? In a computer, you want always want almost always want integrating uh, integrating form. So this differential equation at the left here, you can transfer into the uh, differential equation here, but in integral form. Hmm? Yeah. And I omitted here the initial conditions. I suppose the initial conditions to be zero. Hmm? But this can, can immediately be uh, simulated in 20SIM, for instance. Uh, this equation, you just make a summation of these signals, integrate it, you have the, uh, the current, 
and you do the same as the angular velocity and the model is finished you can always also transfer these equations into a block diagram the ideal thing of 20sim is that you can draw this diagram directly in 20sim and simulate it then the computer generates the equations for you or you can make use these equations to make a block diagram representation well that's what I did here so I repeated here the equations and then I draw a block diagram out of it. So I start with the integral for the, uh, the current. Uh, yeah. This is the integral. Yeah. So the... Uh, and then the 1 over L is yeah. here. Yeah. So this signal is the input U mm-hmm. minus the motor angular velocity, which is here. Uh, this is the yeah. motor angular velocity times Km. Okay. The current times Ra. These oh. are both subtracted. That goes into the input of this integrator. Then I have the current. Okay. The current is multiplied with uh, with Km again. Yeah. Uh, and subtraction here from Rm times omega. Yeah. 1 over J. Integration. So we see that here even this simple physical system is already a kind of feedback system. And there are feedback loops here. Yeah. And this is the physical description of an electrical motor with a mechanical load. Hmm? Okay. Well, of course, the, uh, the, the difficulty is to, uh, to come up with this model uh, and then to, to write the equations. Yes. Hmm? Yeah. Well, anyhow, this is uh, a simple model of an electrical motor. Mm-hmm. Now we make it a little bit more complex. Now we add the load and there was a transmission in between. Mm-hmm. So if we look here, I have here the model again, the electrical motor with some mechanical properties. This is the load. Hmm? Okay. I can connect it and say, well, I don't bother about the transmission. And then the interesting thing is that if I make a bond graph of it, it's an, another way of representing it. In fact, what's here, this one represents the current. This one represents the angular velocity of uh, the, the motor. And this one represents the angular velocity of the, of the load. But I see a red stroke here. Hmm? That's what 20SEM automatically does. And that indicates that there is a problem. Because if you try to derive the equations here, you will find that you cannot write an integral form for this part. And because that gives difficulties with the simulation, that may be less desirable. So there are two options. You say, well, I realize that in fact the velocity, angular velocity here of the motor is exactly the same as the angular velocity of the load because there's no reason why they should be different. Then I should combine these two loads. Okay. Then I get rid of the uh, of the differential causality. I have integral causality again. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I could also say, well, maybe there is a different velocity because if I have this rubber belt, there may be some flexibility and then you can have different velocities yeah. in the load and in the motor. Hmm? So this is an indication that maybe the model is too simple. I have to, to add a kind of spring, hmm? the, the flexibility. I did that here in the bond graph. You see that the red stroke has disappeared. It's also at the other end now here. Mm-hmm. I don't go in detail about that. And here I have added the belt and the pulley. Hmm? Yeah. And so, well, we can try to derive equations again here. The advantage of 20SIM is that all these models uh, are all made with 20SIM. So I can simulate this one, I can simulate this one, I can simulate this one. 
this has more complex models inside. So here this whole part is inside here. Mm-hmm. This part is inside there. Okay. And this part is inside there. And if you go down into this submodel, it's an equation model. Hmm? Yeah. So that's a basic model. And this is a very abstract description of the same system. But if you simulate this, the responses would be exactly the same. Okay, now we go again to equations. You see, deriving the equations yourself is uh, much more complex now. And also the the, the model is getting more complex, so you recognize certain parts. But this this is the the flexibility here. And so this is the original motor model. This is the the, the load, and this is the the transmission. Hmm? Okay. Other thing we could do that's well known if you make these kind of servo systems that the current source is better than the voltage source. So if I do that, and again, I also draw this bond graph, I see that I get a red stroke now here. That indicates that now I have a problem here. If I have a voltage source and I have a resistor and an inductor, then the current is determined by this combination but if I have a current source, these two have no influence on the current. Mm-hmm. So I can leave them out. Hmm? My model is too complex. Yeah. Or I realize that I can never make an ideal current source. That if I make a, a, a real, real life current source, I always have some parasitic effects. So I may want to leave it there mm-hmm. and, and change my, my model. Or I say, well, I can leave it out. So in this case, I choose to make the model more simple. And say, well, in the case of a current source, I don't need these, this part. Okay. So then my model is simplified again. And I get also simpler equations, of course. Yeah. So modeling is very important. And, well, it's also important to have some, some tools that, that help you in this modeling process. Okay. So th- these are major decisions I have to make in this uh, stage. So out of uh, all this, I made a demonstration process. Uh, that is... Uh, in fact, if you have the, this basic elementary model, you can take the elements together and make a new submodel and then make your own drawing for the uh, for the icons. So th- this is well recognizable as a small electrical motor, mm-hmm. the transmission and the load. This is my uh, my, my meter, yeah, my, my poten- potentiometer with a display block, and this is the step response I put on it. Hmm? Yeah. So here you see all the components. Uh, and well I can look at the demonstration of this system so here you see and if I go down now into this model you see the the elementary models and finally if you go further down you see that it's just just a simple description of the uh, inertia hmm? yeah. and one of the advantages of 20 sim is that you can also write simple differential equations you don't have always to go to the integral form the program does that automatically for you hmm? so when I uh, simulate this now hmm? It's a little bit larger. I see the uh, the current input. I see the uh, the angle of the motor, and I see the velocity of the motor. And these uh, 
this oscillation is due to the flexible transmission. Hmm? Yeah. And it is, in fact, what you hear, for instance, if you switch on a vacuum cleaner, hmm? mm-hmm. then you, you hear the sound increasing. That's this first order response. Yeah. You can hear it. Hmm? Yeah. So this is, uh, this looks reliable. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and then let's uh, say that this is, uh, this is a useful model. Hmm? Okay, this is the step response we just saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we want to know a little bit more about this, uh, this frequency of this vibration. So one way to do that is uh, to do an experiment where we put a sweep. That's a signal, the sinusoidal signal. It starts with a very low frequency and then goes to a high frequency uh, signal. Yeah. So these vibrations, uh, this oscillation is a kind of vibration uh, frequency. Mm. And that's where the, uh, the system feels happy. Huh? In, a, in a car or in a bicycle, there can be some vibration as well. Yeah? And there are some frequencies, if these are present in disturbances, then the, the, the whole structure starts to vibrate. Okay. We have that here as well. This is the sweep signal. Huh? This sinusoidal signal is increasing frequency. And I've plotted that here on a logarithmic scale, okay. You see this is the sweep. Yeah. This is my position. At a certain moment the position changes so so quickly that the, the speed changes are so quick that the position doesn't change anymore. Yeah. But you see that here is a certain frequency mm-hmm. where the system feels happy. That's the vibration frequency and you can uh, in this case search for the maximum. It is that's uh, the omega find the global maximum that's there, mm-hmm. and that's a frequency of uh, well, there's a time scale here, but I, I made a time scale such and that it relates to to frequency uh, yeah. so 34 radians per second. Mm-hmm. That's the resonance frequency. Yeah. So that's a second order behavior yeah, and more dominant as we saw in the uh, I think I have it here. Yeah, probably this one. Oh no, that was the older model. And we can skip that. Okay, this one. Here you see that there is also a kind of first order behavior. Mm-hmm. And in addition, there is a second order behavior. That's this vibration. Okay. So, this can be closed. Again, here the uh, response, and on a logarithmic scale, eh, you can also draw a kind of uh, diagram, which we later call a body plot. This is a frequency plot, eh, which you can, com- if you had the equations, in this case, of course, I have the equations because everything is in the computer. But this, this experiment could be done with a real setup as well. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And then f- later on we will see that this is typically the description that belongs to such a system. Mm-hmm. We can also do something else in uh, in anti-sim. And then we have to go back to the model I just closed, I think. I have this here. No, no this is also an older model. This one there. Yeah. If I take uh, this model... I can also say, well, 20SIM has all the equations, so why not get them out? Eh? So, 
if I go to the frequency domain toolbox and use the option model linearization, then I can say, well, this is a, a system where I can use the input, and this is the output signal of the, the, the input block, and my signal generator, yeah. and I want to look at the uh, potentiometer at the end, and uh, I want to, to see the angle phi of the, uh, the motor, of the, of the load, So this is the input signal and output signal. I can do a symbolic linearization in this case. And if I do that, I get a transfer function. Okay. A transfer function in Laplace domain. Yeah. I can also go to state space, which is a description like this. We come back to that later on. Okay. And then you also get your equations with all the mechanical properties still here. You can do uh, a pulse zero representation, so I so we will see that in a minute. Eh, the, the, this first order behavior is described by this pole, the second order behavior by these complex poles. Hmm? And you can also see that there is, uh, we saw an eigenfrequency of 34, I think before it's, apparently it's 32, that's because of the transient in the sweep signal. Well, this of course only if you have a complete model with all the parameters in your computer you can do this. Hmm? Okay. But what's also interesting, you can study the step response of this signal. Hmm? You can see a frequency plot. Hmm? Okay. And, and you can do other plots as well, pole zero, pole zero plot. I leave out the, the lines and you see, well, there's a pole in the origin that's because of the transfer from... Uh, from velocity to position, which is an integration. If you have a velocity, you go to a position. That's an integrating action. Yeah. Well, that's indicated here. This is my first order behavior, the, the, the slow frequent mm -hmm. behavior you saw, and this is the, uh, the complex pulse. Hmm? Yeah. That, that's the, uh, the, the sinusoidal part of the response. Okay, I, this, these are all things I can do with my linear model, and I can do controller designs if I have such a model available. Yeah, but that's for the next lectures. So this is what we saw before. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, transfer function, body plot, and there are other types of frequency plots as well. Okay. And frequency domain is also very important to get an idea of the behavior of a system. Yeah? You, you, you see there how fast the system is and uh, How, uh, how good it is in uh, reducing disturbances from outside. Hmm? Yeah. So I could also say, well, I leave out this, uh, this second order behavior. Hmm? Mm -hmm. I say, well, this, this, I forget about this. I, I just draw a, a simple first order response. Then I, I, I lose the uh, complex poles in the frequency domain. It means this. And that uh, means that I can say, well, I can now try to uh, to do some black box modeling of this process. I just estimate the first order behavior. Hmm? Okay. At least the first order behavior from uh, the input signal to the velocity yeah. to the uh, position is again second order because then we have an integrator extra. Hmm? Yeah. So the question is now find a simple dynamic model through the responses. So that's what I told before. Uh, this is my my real system, huh? well of course it's in the computer, but it could be a real system where I do measurements of the input signal, yeah. measurements of the output signal, compare the signals with a second order model and tune the uh, parameters of the second order model mm -hmm. by reducing a quadratic error here, the integral of quadratic error. So I take a whole response, 
I integrate the error and I, uh, I, I uh, square the error and then I integrate it and then I try to minimize this total error. Hmm? Okay. Now we can do that. So it is now a gray box. Hey? We don't know mm -hmm. too much about it. So now let's run the experiment. Hmm? So to start with, this is the input signal. This is the output signal of the uh, the position. This is the position of my model, which is completely wrong. Okay. This is the measured angular velocity. And this is the angular velocity of my first order model. Hmm? Mm -hmm. I would expect that I don't have these uh, signals. But it should be better. So I can do that by here the multiple run option. So I now let the automatic identification run. And in fact what I have to do then is say well I want to do an optimization. Mm -hmm. I use a certain method and a certain tolerance which is not too important now. There are two parameters I want to know. That's the gain and the time constant of this first order process. Yeah. And I take a minimum and maximum value for the gain and a minimum and maximum value for the time constant. Then I have a criterion. There is a block criterion. I use the output of that block and the end value that gives me the, uh, the value of the criterion which I should minimize. Then I want to see during the simulation what happens and I start with some nominal values. Okay, then everything is defined and I can run the uh, optimization. Okay, so that's that's well done, I would say. Hmm? Mm -hmm. uh, I can uh, ask you for the values, the, the optimal values, they are here. Hmm? Are not that important as such, but of course we are interested in these values. Hmm? Okay. So in, when I have these values, I, I have a simple linear model. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a rather powerful method, if you know something about the system to quickly find uh, yeah. and what's in here yeah, second order model that's a, a simple uh, equation model where I described this, this second order behavior you could draw a block diagram of it but mm -hmm. that's not the okay we go on so this is the result of the, uh, well, it's called hill climbing, this method. Eh? You could imagine that you are on a mountain and it's very foggy. Mm -hmm. And the only thing you have is an instrument to, to measure how high on the mountain you are. Okay. So it's pure fog. So the only thing you can do is walk a few steps in one direction, mm -hmm. walk a few steps in the other direction. Then you determine the maximum slope yeah. and you follow the maximum slope for some time. And then you do the same experiment again. Eh? And if it's a simple mountain, you will find the top. Hmm? Yeah. Well, in this case, we, we have inverted the mountain because we want to find the deepest point, the lowest value of the criterion, yeah. but that is just a matter of minus sign. Hmm? Yeah. Well, the advantage of this method is that if there is noise, uh, often if you have measurements, you have, well, some, some, some noise, uh, there's some st statistics always, uh, and measurements are never completely uh, reliable. Mm -hmm. But because you take the whole run, eh? yeah. you, you start from here and you end there, and you will, even with noise, you will find a good, uh, reliable fit and uh, reliable parameters. Hmm? Yeah. 
if you you do that, you must use the same experiment again and again because otherwise you might find find completely different uh, values. Because not the absolute value of the criterion itself is important in such a run. Run, you want to compare it with uh, by by changing the uh, the parameters of your model. And if you have another experiment and you would use that during the whole climbing process, then things go wrong because then the, the, the criterion can be much higher, although the parameters are adjusted in the right direction. But I suggest that you do some of these experiments yourself. You can you can find the 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 you found the sheets on the on the web and your experiments are there as well. So, well, I leave this for you, the experiment with noise. Hmm? So this was the uh, low frequency behavior. Hmm? And then it's also interesting to see that, uh, well, here we saw that the, uh, the high frequencies were clearly visible. But if I use this block as well and, and do not put a step on the input, but uh, I, I take only the lower frequencies of this step, then it might happen. Yeah? So, for instance, if I take... The, the maximum frequency here in the first experiment it was omega 50 mm -hmm. then I saw the vibrations if I say well I take omega 15 then the vibrations are gone yeah, it's a little bit delayed mm -hmm. but the position is hardly slower hmm? yeah. if I uh, I could go further yeah, there's also a 20 sim demo here yeah. okay. and well if I take that uh, that filter too uh, too strong uh, then uh, I'm delaying the, the response, but mm -hmm. if you know that there are, are vibrations and you don't want to see them, uh, then you must not excite them uh, by, by your input signals. So this is the experiment, and well, in this case, my. Uh, What is it? Set point generator. Uh, constant set point generator. Yeah, here that my omega was 50. 50 yeah? If I make that uh, 15, we will see this response. And if I make it, for instance, uh, 5, yeah? You see, it's really slowing down the things. Yeah? So, so it, you must have a good selection lower than the vibration frequency, which was 32. Mm -hmm. So 15 is, is half of 32. Yeah. Five is too much. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, then another thing you could do is not use an... Uh, a current amplifier, but uh, a, a current source, but a voltage source. And in that case, you get some extra dynamics, and that means that we, we get an extra pole due to this electrical circuit. Huh? Mm -hmm. And again, that can be simplified, and, but then we have not a, a system with, with two poles, but with three poles, so it may, means we have a little bit more complex uh, system. Okay, then... You you are acquainted to this kind of notation, I hope. Uh, that is a Laplace transform of a differential equation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then uh, the question is: If I give you k and tau, can you draw the response? Maybe not immediately. Uh, maybe you need to, to do some computations. Yeah. 
Well, we'll see that that's not too much necessary. First of all, if we change the time constant between point 0.1 and 10, I can do that also in a multiple run experiment. I suggest that you play with that because you, you need to get a feeling between the major dynamics of a system and the responses. So this is my uh, my simple system. Now I can do a multiple run, and I have uh, now defined the multiple run as parameter sweep, not optimization. Yeah. So I change the uh, the tau of the, the model between 0.1 and 10. Uh, there is no optimization, uh, so that's not important here. I take two steps. Uh, and I draw during simulation, and I think I defined that before, yeah, and that's also important. I defined a logarithmic scale because then I get a, a better coverage of the whole range. Yeah? Okay. So that means I, I, I did have a more or less equal division between 0.1 and 10 on a logarithmic yeah. scale. Hmm? Okay, we do the experiment, and we see that if the uh, if the time constant is very small, we have a very fast response. If the time constant is very large, yeah. we have a very slow response. Now, the, the gain determines the final value of the response. In all cases, the gain here is 1. If I would double the gain, then the responses just would blow up. Yeah. Well, one way to... Uh, to know the response is solve the differential equation. So this is step input, transfer HS given by this transfer function from US to, to YS. Uh, if we have a step input, we have to add 1 over S. Then we have to do an inverse Laplace transformation. Then we write the, the, the system a little bit different. This is the way where you recognize the time constant. If you divide by one by, by, by tau you get k over tau and we yeah. call k over tau a and here we get uh, s and there one over tau. Hmm? Yeah. Then you have to split it into uh, two simple parts hmm? and then do a back transformation which finally gives you this equation. Hmm. So this is the standard solution of a first order transfer function. Hmm. And you can see if t goes to infinity this term goes to zero, yeah. so what remains is the term k, so the final value with a step, with a unit step input, in this case, is k. Yeah. Another interesting value if is taking, uh, so I have drawn it here, yeah. if t is equal to tau, you can draw the, uh, the this line here, yeah. which is tangent to the response that t is zero, and that crosses the final value at t is tau. Hmm? Yeah. So that's w one way. If you measure a response like this, yeah. you can draw the, the tangent here and then say, well, this point is t is tau. So that's my time constant. Yeah. A better method is to realize that if t is equal to tau, this is e to the power minus 1. Yeah. And e to the power minus 1 is 0 0.37. And 1 minus 0 0.37 is 0 0.63. So at 
63% of the final value, mm -hmm. that's the time where you can read your time constant. Okay. So if I give you this response, the final value is 2, this is, uh, th this is 1, you know the transfer function. Yeah. No computations, this is something you, you, you must remember. Okay. This is simple, but important. Well, then, we have seen already there are different representations. This is one representation. Dividing uh, numerator and denominator both by tau, you get this equation, which can be written like this. Or, by combining k and a in k prime, mm -hmm. we have this form. So, these two forms are both present and used depending upon the application what's more useful. So here we can recognize the system gain. This one is called the root locus gain. We'll see later on why it's called the root locus gain. In this case, the lowest power of S is 1. It, it could be a term with S as well, but at least it's the lowest power of S, and then the coefficient is, uh, is 1. Yeah. And in this case, the, uh, the, the coefficient at the highest power of, uh, of S is 1. And such a polynomial is the highest power of S1 is called the monic polynomium. That's a term mathematical people use. Yeah. Okay. The, the same holds, of course, here. Also, when I add this, uh, this S, and then I, I can write the same type of equations again. In this case, we have here a term S, but still this is the lowest power of S. And here, the highest power of S is 1. Yeah. Uh, there's one remark. I call this the system gain. In electrical engineering, it's often called the DC gain. Okay. That means if you have a DC input, you get a certain value. But that's not true here. Yeah. Because, well, in this case, the final value is, is K. Mm -hmm. And then... The term DC gain has some meaning, but in this case we have added an integrator and the final value goes to infinity. Mm -hmm. So you could say that the DC gain is infinity. Okay. But this gain is still the system gain. So the, the system gain remains K while DC gain goes to infinity. So system gain is a better term than to use than DC gain. Yeah. Okay, then, uh, even if you have a complex uh, system, you can easily determine the final value. Yeah? So, the, the, the gain of the system from the transfer function. So, we take a simple example. Yeah? If we put a step on the input, we have a transfer function hs, uh, multiplied it with 1 over s. Then, the final value theorem says that the, the limit for t goes to infinity of yt is the limit for s go to 0, s times ys, and in this case, the uh, s times 1 over s compensates each other, so it's the limit of s goes to 0, hs, mm -hmm. which is in this case k. Well, we knew that already, yeah. but in a more complex system, this is a very useful rule. We also have an initial value theorem that tells us how the uh, response starts at uh, t is zero. Mm -hmm. 
So it's the same almost. The, the limit for t goes to zero is the limit for s goes to infinity, s times ys. In this case, s goes to infinity, the initial value is zero. We knew that already hmm? from this response. And this also indicates that if for small t, s goes to infinity, and for large t, s goes to zero. So when we draw in the s domain, with poles and zeros, we know that poles close to the origin give a very slow response. Hmm? Mm-hmm. So it, it takes a long time before you see the effect. If poles are far away, they belong to faster phenomena. Hmm? We saw that with the complex poles, with omega 32, that was a fast motion, and the slow first order behavior was a pole close to the origin. Hmm? Okay. Well, it's... Uh, also interesting to apply the initial value th- theorem to the derivative of uh, yt. Then we have an extra s and then we see that the initial value is k over tau. So that's the slope. Hmm? Yeah. The, the, the slope of the response. Well, these, uh, these terms are called poles. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And these terms are called zeros. Zeros are often the result of a parallel path in a, in a transfer. If you have a, a parallel construction, or if you measure not in the output but, but earlier, you, you get zeros. Mm-hmm. Poles are a property of the system. Zeros are not a property of the system. But they determine the response. So in this case, if I have also a zero... Well, then the, uh, because this is more difficult to compute, eh? if I have just 1 over s tau plus 1, you can easily draw the response, eh? because you have seen the, this, the solution, but this is more difficult. Yeah. Well, the uh, initial and final value theorem help here as well. So the limit for t goes to 0, s goes to infinity in this case, is k times tau 2 over tau 1. Eh? So that's the starting value of the response. Yeah. The final value is again, t goes to infinity, s goes to zero, is k. Okay. So it goes to the value k, and it starts with this uh, value. Okay. And the, the transient is always determined by the pole. So we have a transient, now not starting in zero, mm-hmm. but starting here, but still with a time constant of tau 1. Yeah. So that's the response. Okay. And of course, if we make uh, tau 2, smaller, and it starts at the lower value. If we make tau 2 larger, even larger than tau 1, it could even start with a higher value. Hmm? Tau 2 can also be negative. Hmm? And then we start with a negative value. Hmm? So then the response, well again, the transient is is determined by tau 1, so we get this response. Hmm? Not too very well drawn, but it should be It's meant to be first order. hmm? So, here again, I have written the simple equation. hmm? So, this is my pole in minus, uh, let's say, minus 1. That gives me a certain response. What happens if I move the pole to the left? hmm? If the pole goes further away from the origin in the S domain, it means that the system gets faster. Yeah. So this is 
what happens. And of course the other way around, if I move it to the right, the system gets slower. Yeah. Oh, this is the zero. Yeah, I added zero here. So now you can tell me what happens. So tau 2 is further away from the origin. So uh, the, 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 the zero is further away from the origin. So tau 2 is smaller than tau 1. Yeah. So, and it's about a factor 2 in between. So it will start here. If it would be at the other side, it would start yeah, there. Hmm? Okay. And if it's in the, uh, the negative, uh, if the, the zero is, is in the positive side of the S-plane, mm -hmm. we, we get this, this minus sign in the response. Hmm? Yeah. And this is the response. All the, always the same transient, same time constant, but the initial value is different. Hmm? Yeah. And this holds uh, with some modifications, of course, for discrete systems as well. Hmm? Mm. Well, I would say we know now everything about first-order systems. And with this, you can handle every first-order system. And the only other system we have is a second-order system. That means that if we have two real poles, it's also a second-order system, but then it's a combination of two first-order systems. Mm -hmm. This cannot be written as a first-order system eh, because of the uh, the complex poles. Eh, we, we can only describe this as a second-order system. Well, there are important properties. Eh, the, the distance from the poles to the origin are important. Yeah. So that determines the speed of the response. We call that the natural frequency. Mm -hmm. And... The angle these poles make with the uh, the negative real axis are also important. Yeah. If the angle is uh, zero, we have real poles. If the angle is 90 degrees, we have pure complex poles. Yeah. So we use often Z being cosine phi. And Z is called the damping ratio. Mm -hmm. So if we write our second order equation with these terms. The, this is a standard form of second order equation. S squared 2 Z or, or zeta omega n S plus omega n squared and omega n squared here as well. That means what is the final value of this response if I put a step on the input. That's the limit for T goes to infinity or the limit for S goes to zero. So the final value is no omega n squared divided by omega n squared is one. Eh? So yeah. these terms are zero. So you can Im immediately determine that. Eh? Yeah. Well, then we have uh, also the real part is alpha minus alpha. The imaginary part, the complex part is beta. Mm -hmm. And we used it as well. So we could also say that alpha is omega n times cosine phi is omega n z. Eh? And that's called the uh, the absolute damping. And beta, omega n times sinus phi, is the, uh, the, the frequency you will observe in the uh, response. So, omega n is the natural frequency. Alpha is absolute damping. Uh, well, this is a typical response for a certain value of, uh, of phi. In this case, well... There are a few values you 
should learn him because this is uh, an angle of 45 degrees set is 0.7 and then you have 4% overshoot mm-hmm. if the angle is 60 degrees then you have uh, a damping ratio of uh, 0.5 the angle is angle is 16 percent and Another important uh, thing you can observe from the response is that the time you you measure the peak, eh? Mm -hmm. that's equal to pi over beta. So if you have this response, eh, you can say, well, my overshoot is uh, 4%, my peak time is pi over beta, Mm -hmm. so then, no, pi is a constant, then I know beta, so I know this value. I know that with 4% overshoot, the angle is 45 degrees, just here are my poles. You can do a complete identification, not using the computer, by learning indeed a few rules. So the 4%, 16% are very useful values, and also this rule for the peak time. Okay. Okay, then we have some other important things. T2% is the time where the response remains within 2% of the final value mm-hmm. that's 4 over zeta, zeta omega n so that uh, that is another measure mm-hmm. and what's also interesting is to see what happens when we what did I vary here mm-hmm. which, which of the two parameters I varied in this case Yeah, yeah, yeah. The speed of the response changes, the, the, da- the damping remains exactly the same. Hmm? Yeah. So you see, I start with, uh, with a very slow system, and the system gets faster and faster if I change omega n. Mm-hmm. If I would change, keep omega n constant and change uh, z or zeta, mm-hmm. then I get this uh, phenomenon where zeta changes from 1. In the case it's one, I have two real poles mm-hmm. to 0.1 where the poles are almost complex. Eh? If the poles are pure complex poles, I get a pure sinusoidal signal. Hmm? Yeah. Because then there is no damping. Hmm? Yeah. Okay, then at the end there are a few exercises uh, which are to stimulate you to play with this. Uh, you, you can... Uh, Use the linear system editor mm-hmm. and uh, do these experiments. Make a first order poll, look at the response, add a zero, play with the zero at different sides, yeah. mm-hmm. and do that with a second order system. Mm-hmm. Okay, as a okay, this is. If you want just to play with the linear system editor, you go to the frequency domain toolbox, you do a model linearization. Uh, no, that's not what I want. Uh, I want to. The linear system editor, not the linearization. Okay. Linearization also results in the linear system editor, but I just want to have a clean linear system editor now. So if I want to go to poles and zeros, I can say edit and delete these poles. Now I, I add a new pole, yeah, I add a pole in minus one, yeah. apply, okay, and then I look at the step response, hmm? okay. 
and then I can uh, can freeze my step response. Hmm? I'll make this a little bit smaller. And now I can uh, again edit. I keep this, the system gain constant here. It's supposed that the root locus gain is kept constant. I keep the system gain constant. Mm-hmm. And now I move the pole further away from the origin. So I press here. Yeah. Okay. You see what happens. Yeah? yeah. So now it's one again. And now I make it uh, minus 0.9. And again, I, I increase it, eh? apply, I increase it, so it increases now by one-tenth. Yeah. And you see the response gets slower. If I increase the uh, system gain, okay. I see it just goes up. So pl- play with it. It gives you a feeling. Eh? Mm-hmm. And the same with second-order system. If you want to make uh, a complex system, so let's make the, the, the gain... Uh, one again, and now we say, well, I have now a pole is a real part minus one. I can make a complex part of say one. Then I have a very low damping. If you say apply, you see my response is very oscillatory. And if I make this point nine, apply, and then decrease it. Okay. See that the response gets a little bit slower, but also that the overshoot disappears. Hmm? Yeah. And if I have both point one, you see that I have about four percent overshoot. Hmm? Yeah. Okay, just play with it yourself. Yeah, hmm? I'm 